And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and it's so nice to have you along with us today. Joining me in the studio is Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Mark, a longtime area naturalist and outdoorsman, resides in Kerhonkson with his wife and one of their daughters. Additionally, they have a married son who serves with Wycliffe in Brazil, a married daughter in Colorado, and a newly married daughter living in the Kerhonkson area. Good to be here, Dan. And also joining us is Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor at Ulster County Community College. As we've once said before, if you find yourself taking a history course at U-Tri-C, there's a good chance that you'll encounter Professor Vogt. Hans resides in Saugerties, New York, with his wife and a son and a daughter. Pleasure to be here. Well, gentlemen, this program, within the milieu of history, theology, and current events, seeks to answer questions that have been submitted to us by listeners. Sometimes we think of questions ourselves as well. The question we started on in a previous session was this, and we'll continue on it today. It said, What role, if any, does the Church have in political involvement? And our last time together, we talked through some of this question, and today we want to continue, and we particularly want to look at what happens when you have a government that is heading in an evil direction. Uh, What does the church do, and are there any historical examples that we can think of uh, where the church has dealt with uh, an evil government and has taken a stand biblically? And before we do that, I just wanted to read a section from the Bible, Psalm chapter 2. I know we read it the last time, and in particular, verses 10 through 12. This is God's word. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So we serve a God who is over all. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the enthroned king as a result of his ascension on high. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. He rules and he reigns. Now, we as his people come under his rule, but also we know that God has ordained governments for the ordering of people, and they serve a good role, or at least they're supposed to serve a good role. Now, what happens, though, when the wrong people get in charge and their hearts are turned from God, they go against the scriptures, start disobeying God, Uh, What role would the church have in a case like that? Well, one historical example of that would be what happened in Germany in the 1930s when Adolf Hitler and the Nazis seized power. Hitler made his own church. He combined the Lutheran and Reformed and other Protestant churches into a Reichskirk uh, Hmm. under a Reichsbishop, which he appointed. And uh, not only did that put Uh, the German church under political control, but the Reichskirk then began to change Christian doctrine and to uh, claim that Jesus Christ was not Jewish and that he was Mm -hmm. Aryan and that uh, he had uh, 
the purpose of his death uh, and resurrection was not about salvation, it was about defeating Jews. So let me get this right. In other words, here's a case where a civil government, or at least part of the civil government, rises up and starts changing Christian doctrine? Exactly, exactly. And interestingly, even Adolf Hitler thought it was a little silly and and over the top. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which says quite a lot, right? That's right. Uh, but a group of, of confessing churches in Germany, Lutheran and Reformed and, and other Protestant churches, got together and said, this is not right. And uh-huh. they issued um, what's known as the Theological uh, Declaration of Barman. It was actually written primarily by Karl Barth, the great German theologian. Yeah. And what's important about that is they stood up and said, Uh, And I'm quoting here from the Theological Declaration of Barman. The Christian Church is the congregation in which Jesus Christ acts presently as the Lord in word and sacrament through the Holy Spirit. As the Church of Pardoned Sinners, it has to testify in the midst of a sinful world, with its faith as with its obedience, with its message as with its order, that it is solely His property and that it lives and wants to live solely from his comfort and from his direction in the expectation of his appearance. We reject the false doctrine that the church were permitted to abandon the form of its message and order to its own pleasure or to changes in prevailing ideological and political convictions. So that church stood up and it took a stand. Now, now what church was this in particular? Um, it, they called themselves the Confessing Church. They were actually Lutheran and Reformed churches and, and other Protestant churches within Germany. But they took a common stand on the Bible and on the historic uh, Orthodox Christian faith. That's interesting. Now, isn't there an argument out there someplace floating around in the ether that says, oh, those Lutherans, they just caved, they gave in to... Hitler and went right along. And yet here's evidence from history showing that there here's a whole group of people standing up confessing the faith of the Bible and saying we will not disobey God. We can't disobey the law of God. Exactly. Carl uh, 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 Barth wound up being um, exiled. He had to go back to Switzerland, which was actually mm-hmm. his native mm-hmm. uh, land. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another uh, a German pastor, of course, would uh, ultimately... Um, take part in attempts to remove Hitler from power and uh, would ultimately be martyred um, Mm -hmm. for that. So there were those, uh, certainly, many, many faithful Christians who stood up uh, and denounced the Nazi regime. That's helpful. Actually, you have the same kind of thing going on in China today with, what is it, the three-self, what's the name of that? The three-self church. church. Three-self church that the government has basically imposed upon the people and uh, has controlled it, and of course, then you have a great number of churches saying, <laughs> we're not going to listen to this, we're going to follow the, the dictates of Scripture. And so you have a huge underground church uh, yeah. that's, that's grown up in, in China. There's a lot of Christians in China. Uh, reading maybe 10 years ago, I think the number was up, what, maybe 50 million. It's probably yeah. more like 100 million or more now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know the number. And, it, and now, it's grown. Yeah. Certainly one of the issues over in China, you know, jumping you know, from the time of Hitler and the confession that you just read, Hans, uh, over to uh, China in the current day, isn't there some kind of a pro-life issue um, in China where they have a rule of, what, only one child? 
Yeah, one child rule. And, of course, uh, the, the Christians oppose that vehemently. Um, yeah. As Christians in this country oppose abortion. Uh, abortion. That's right. Yeah. So there are cases in history of the church standing up. You have the case here under Hitler that Hans has shared with us, where the church stands up and says, we have to stick with what the Bible says. In fact, in that quotation, one of the quotes was, um, as I see it here, Hans, we reject the false doctrine as though the church were permitted to abandon the form of its message and order to its own pleasure or to changes in prevailing ideological and political convictions. So they would stand here on the word of God. That's right. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and forever. Excellent. Well, I see we're up against a break. We will be right back after this short break. Thank you so much. This is A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. On our agenda today is the role of the church in politics, and we've already looked at briefly the theological declaration of Barman. That declaration took place during the time of Hitler, and I'm going to turn it back to Hans now to continue. One of the points they make uh, in the declaration of Barman is that both the government and the church need to stay within the sphere of authority to which God has appointed them. Mm. Uh, and, and I'll just quote again from that declaration. Uh, they use the scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, fear God and honor the emperor. And then they go on to say this, scripture tells us that in the as yet unredeemed world in which the church exists, the state has by divine appointment the task of providing for justice and peace. Mm. The church acknowledges the benefit of this divine appointment in gratitude and reverence before him. We reject the false doctrine that the state, over and beyond its special commission, should and could become the single totalitarian order of human life, thus fulfilling the church's vocation as well. 
We reject the false doctrine that the church, over and beyond its special commission, should and could appropriate the characteristics, the tasks, and the dignity of the state, thus itself becoming an organ of the state. So it's that reformed idea of sphere sovereignty, that uh, the government has an appointed role, but it must not overstep those bounds. The church has uh, a prophetic voice to, to address issues in society, but it must not become so enmeshed mm-hmm. in politics that it becomes, uh, it loses focus on its mission. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And wasn't it uh, Kuiper, I guess, who uh, brought, that was one of his strong points, was sphere sovereignty. Absolutely. I'm looking here also at a quotation from the Westminster Confession of Faith under, what is it, chapter 23 of the Civil Magistrate, just a couple of paragraphs. I thought this was interesting as well and helpful. Um, It says this, God, the Supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good and to this end has armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. And so here it's setting it up like this. It says God is over all. And so the civil magistrate is under him. It goes on and it says it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto in the managing whereof they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. So for that end, they may lawfully, now under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasion. That also reminds me that one of the subjects that we talked about was just war theory back in August, and that's up on the website. So here we have it. The civil magistrate is ordained by God, and he actually serves God as he carries out his sphere of responsibility, which is different than the church's sphere of responsibility. If you look at the the Bible there, you see that sphere of responsibility, and you see what it should be. We see that in Romans chapter 13, you know, the, the, the government is there to reward that which is good, to punish that which is evil. And yet it happens so often that the government doesn't act that way. Mm. And that, in fact, uh, was the case. If you look at Romans, probably early in Nero's reign, Nero was good. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that, but Nero was considered to be one of the the better emperors when he started. And they went crazy. Mm -hmm. And if you look at 1 Timothy, you see Paul writing probably in the latter Nero era. In chapter 2, he says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Mm-hmm. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, who desires all people to be saved. Understand what Paul is saying there. He's looking at the situation, and he, he's saying, let's pray that God would give us a ruler who's going to protect our rights to evangelize mm. and to keep functioning in that manner. And that's one of the things that we as believers need to do. We need to focus on that. Big difference, though. Nero was the emperor. Mm-hmm. We don't have an emperor. We have a federal republic 
where we have a, a say Good and point. representative, and therefore we have responsibilities. If our government goes nuts like Nero did, whose fault is it? That's right. It's our fault. Exactly. We have a constitutional republic, or at least I think we were supposed to. <laughs> we're supposed, and, and the problem is, you know, when things get out of hand, the question is, who let them get that way? Yeah. And that's why Christians need to be standing up and watching. You know, I look at our government, and I see our government on the verge of making large usurpations oh, sure. of, in the sphere of the church. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, we could take many paths here in our discussion today, and I want to get back to this uh, Westminster Confession of Faith of the Civil Magistrate. One more sentence in the third paragraph of the section I was reading says this, Civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let's just talk for a moment about the church and its primary role. I have a friend, and some of you know him, lives down in Tennessee, Kevin Sherritt. And behind the scenes, I tease him, and I call him MOAS, M-O-W-A-S. Now, what is MOAS? It's just an acronym, and it stands for Minister of Word and Sacrament. So sometimes I'll send him an email, and I'll say, Dear MOAS. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, indeed, the minister is a minister of word and sacrament. Mark, what all does that mean? Well, it means, first off, if you're looking at the focus, the focus is to worship God. Mm. And we worship God while well, God has given us the sacraments, the sacraments of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Mm. And, of course, he's uh, the minister is the one who is the presider. He's not the one who makes them, but he is the mm-hmm. presider uh, at them. And, obviously, the word, God has given us his word, and uh, we're to take that word and, and we're to follow that. That's the way we please God, and it's also... Now, the way we disciple others, we're to make disciples, other people who will come and worship and honor and glorify God mm. uh, as they are. So, in other words, it would be mm. inappropriate, therefore, uh, in a biblical uh, society for uh, the civil magistrate to get up and put on his robe and get up in uh, the pulpit on Sunday morning and start preaching the gospel and having authority in that local church. Yeah. Absolutely, we see we we see that a couple times in the uh, in the Old Testament, where you have well, first King Saul making sacrifice when he did not have the right to do that, and uh, then I believe it was uh, okay. Asa. Yeah. All right. So, in other words, if the president of the country got up and tried to administer the Lord's Supper or officiated over a baptism service, yeah. right? Uh, totally that's just out of place. Out of place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a really simple and good example of sphere sovereignty. The other thing is if the civil government tries to say, well, this is what it means to be a Christian, and mm. therefore we're going to impose this standard on the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Now, before we got started here, before we opened the mic, Hans, I think you brought to our attention that we really need to talk just a little bit about the how. How does a church participate in politics? We've said what it can and cannot do, but how does it go about participating in politics, you know, in a legitimate way? Uh, Any thoughts about that? Well, I think there's a couple of important points to be made. Uh, First of all is that we do need to be bold and to be fearless in proclaiming God's truth. 
in all areas where God's truth applies, which is all areas of life. But we also need to be careful that we are speaking the truth in love. One of the dangers, I believe, of Christians becoming involved in politics is that not only is politics about power and power corrupts, but political discourse, uh, and, and particularly in the last several years, is often very confrontational, very personal, very mm-hmm. nasty and destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be clearly pointing out what is right and what is wrong, but we also need to be doing that in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And we should not allow ourselves to get dragged down into the muck and the, the dirt of, of political debate. That's excellent. In other words, fleshing this out, um, here's an example from the theological radio realm. Um, I know we had talked about a couple of sessions ago uh, the so-called end of the church age. You know, there's a teacher out there that pushes that. And our goal is not to uh, badmouth that individual. That's not our goal at all. Our goal is to deal with the facts that are before us and in a manly way and and a godly way uh, address the issues without pulling any one individual through the mud. That's not our goal and that's not our right to do that. Exactly. And, and so Christians getting involved in politics, you have to be very careful what you say. Let's say you go to a town board meeting or maybe it's uh, a local caucus in your town. You are to be a Christian man or woman and and not be, can I use the word, jerk? <laughs> you can't be that. Uh, you are representing Jesus Christ himself, and that's all the more reason. You know, you've got to be upright you have to be gracious. What would Christ be? He would speak strongly, and yet he would be gracious to his uh, enemies, even. Well, that's right. You know, there's a difference between the offense of the gospel and being offensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we need to be sure that, that as we are proclaiming the gospel truth, that, that we're not doing it offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just, as you said, it's, it's a matter of, of acting as Christ would act. Yeah. Um, what about, um, this is jumping the subject maybe, but what about the IRS? <laughs> Boy, that's, that's a huge jump. <laughs> Churches have a, uh, typically a tax exemption. Uh, Mark, uh, what concerns are there with respect to that? Well, one of the real problems, and I had mentioned earlier that the state seems to be imposing more and more, and one of the ways it's done it is with the IRS. Um, mm-hmm. This whole idea that the churches cannot say anything or endorse, for example, a mm-hmm. political individual, you know, otherwise they lose their tax-exempt status. Mm-hmm. That, that's, to me, seems to be a great imposition. Obviously, if you look at it, it is not even fairly applied all the way across Mm-mm. the lines because you see some churches that bring politicians in, and they're they're talking, and you see obvious endorsement. Mm. And other churches just make one little statement, or even hand out flyers that give the positions and raises questions. And there's a real problem there. It seems to me the churches ought to have the freedom to say what they believe. Yeah, you have to. Of course, the churches also have a responsibility too, and this is one of the the tricky areas of the church. There are certain areas that we have in scriptures that are propositional truths. You stand up and you, you say, abortion's wrong. The Bible clearly teaches abortion's mm-hmm. wrong. It's, you know, propositional truth. 
The second layer is you have necessary inferences. In other words, the Bible might not come out and say something exactly there, but there is a, a strong inference, and it's a necessary inference. For example, with the doctrine of the Trinity, the word Trinity is never used, but it is a necessary inference when you, mm-hmm. you, you get into it. Then there's those, there's those little muddier areas, you know. What does the Bible teach about the way the government should be? I had an art teacher that said Jesus was a socialist. I think she's dead wrong. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's an area there. And, and the question is, does the church get dogmatic on an area where there seems to be an inference in one direction, but it's it's not a necessary inference. It's, mm-hmm. it's not an absolute inference. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes the church has erred in being a little dogmatic in some of those areas and erred in being really silent in in the areas where uh, you know the Bible is propositional and or with a necessary inference. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent point. You know, uh, Christians um, are going to disagree on some of those gray areas um, mm. as to exactly how the government ought to act. Um, and not only should we be respectful in addressing the broader culture, but we should be respectful in dialogue with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And and it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. But listen, um, you know, there, there may be things that we can learn, even if we ultimately say, no, I don't think that is the way we should approach this, but there may be things still that you can learn uh, from them. Well, believe it or not, we're out of time already for this edition of A Plain Answer. Goal of this program is to answer your questions that you've sent to us here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today, the subject was the church and politics. And I'm beginning to wonder if we still have another session on this or not, because there's just so very much to talk about. In the studio with me today has been Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor of Ulster County Community College. We want to thank you for joining us today for this edition of A Plain Answer, and we would invite you to join us again next week at this same time. And may our Lord richly bless your life today with his grace and his peace as you serve him.